Welcome to the Recharge Your Life podcast with me, Dr. Carrie Ulrich and Kelly Gunther. We are thrilled to talk to people who have made a decision that recharged their lives. Often they push themselves out of their comfort zones and took risks. We want to know about that decision point. Why did they make that decision? And most importantly, how can we learn from them? Kelly and I are passionate HR professionals, and together we co-founded our HR consulting firm, Abrachi Group. We have talked to amazing people throughout our careers and listened to them as they made decisions that changed their lives and knew that these inspirational stories would help others. And why did we call it Recharge? It's based on a book I co-authored called The Way of the HR Warrior, and in it, we have a leadership model, CHARGE, which stands for courage, humility, accuracy, resiliency, goal-oriented, and exemplary. We know that people used one or more of these qualities to help them make their decisions, and we want to learn from them. Now, sit back, listen, and be inspired by these stories, and then do something to recharge your life. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly. We're so thrilled to have Scott Miller as our special guest. Capping a 25-year career where he served as a chief marketing officer and executive vice president of business development, Scott Jeffrey Miller currently serves as Franklin Covey's Senior Advisor on Thought Leadership, leading the strategy and development of the firm's Speakers Bureau, as well as the publication of podcasts, webcasts, and best-selling books. Scott also hosts On Leadership with Scott Miller, the world's largest and fastest-growing leadership podcast, reaching more than 6 million people weekly. In addition, Scott authors a leadership column for Inc.com and is the best-selling author of the Mess to Success series. Scott, welcome. We always like to start our podcast by asking what you do when you want to push yourself and expand your thinking. Well, first of all, I love your intro music, best podcast intro ever. And then to answer your question, I don't listen to my detractors. I think the more public you are, the more you're influence grows, the more people read your columns or podcasts, or just your business, your career grows, the more you're going to have detractors, naysayers, people who are jealous, quite frankly, of your success and courage and boldness. So what I typically don't do is get dragged down by people who are criticizing me. I tend to go with my gut, although I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a data wonk. I certainly understand the value of facts and data and information, but I, my gut has served me really well in life. I guess you could call my gut my instinct, my, my sense of understanding someone's character and their intent. And so I have a lot of confidence in my capabilities, in my energy, in my stamina. I'm not afraid to make mistakes. You know, Rachel Hollis, who was a good friend of mine, she said that most people don't fear failure. What they fear is having other people see them fail. Mm-hmm. I have no fear of having someone see me fail. To me, that, that word isn't even in my vocabulary. I just see it as, well, that didn't work, so let's try this. I mean that genuinely. I like to try things new, whether it be writing a book or a magazine column or a radio program. If it doesn't work like I thought it did, I just take out the lessons and I pivot and go try something new. I don't even have failure in my vocabulary. Scott, what I want to get to some of that, but what are some of the things that you like if you want to kind of unplug and listen to a different viewpoint? Um, what do you read or what do you podcast do you listen to? What kind of do you like to push your thinking? 
Yeah, I'm a voracious reader. Since I'm 53 years old, I live in Salt Lake City with my wife, Stephanie, and our three sons. And they all, to her horror, have my energy level. So there's a lot of noise oh going goodness. on in the house. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> three mini-me's three mini around here. Oh I, I, um, since I was 16 years old, I have subscribed to and read 42 magazines a month. I've subscribed to three print newspapers a day. I still kind of read old school. I read about 150 plus books a year, both for my podcast and my ink column. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I just don't have the time. I I, I tend to be a visual learner. I like to read the words. So I, um, I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal and to the New York Times. I watch CNN and I watch Fox and Okay. You know, uh, to kind of balance each other out and understand how I can make my own opinions. But um, I like to play tennis. I like to vacation. I like to drink champagne. You follow my social media, you see that. So I believe, like my friend Jillian Michaels told me, you can have everything in life. You just can't have it all at the same time. Yeah. So I very much, I very much believe in this idea of there are seasons in your life, seasons of balance, seasons of imbalance. And I try to subscribe to that. Some months and quarters are hard charging and then others I tend to relax and repair a bit more. Yeah, that's such a good point, Scott. It really balances over time. So it's not that you can do everything at once every Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and it's all in perfect balance. But sometimes it's gonna you're gonna do you're gonna be over indexed in February and March, but then yeah. it will calm down in April and May. So I thank you for giving us that quote. And, and it will calm down if you if you ensure it calms down. Because if you don't manage your schedule and don't say no to some commitments, then every May will be like your March and February. Yeah. So you ha- so the second part of that equation is if your schedule in life is going to come back in balance, it won't do it organically. You have to make it so. You have to mm-hmm. bring it into balance with your decisions. So Scott, that I have I have an original question for you, but I want to ask this one. How do you you have so much energy. How do you say no? What are, how do you, what's the filter and decision-making criteria that you have for no? Well, I wouldn't say that I'm especially good at saying no. First of all, I like opportunity. I like validation. I'll be honest. I, I like it when people invite me to collaborate or work in their company or consult. I, I like everyone. I, I like to feel needed and included. So I, it's just, it's a challenge for me, but I will tell you this. I think one of the best exercises I ever engaged in in my adult life was identifying my values. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a corporate, you know, values clarification process, but it mm-hmm. is kind of a personal process. And after hearing a speech from one of our co-founders, uh, Hiram Smith, who was a co-founder of Franklin Covey, I went off as I was single back in my thirties and I clarified my values. I committed them to memory. Phil Pal, P-H-I-L-P-A-L. Purpose, health, integrity, loyalty, positivity, abundance, and mm. learning. Phil Pal. And mm. for the last, gosh, nearly 15 plus years or more, more, I have done my best to live my life intentionally with those values. And if something doesn't align with my values or my role, my role as a husband, my role as a father of three sons, my role as a provider to my family a role as an author, a podcast host, then I have no choice but to say no because I cannot take on any more roles or any more values. So my advice to your listeners is if you haven't clarified the few most important roles in your life and then aligned them with articulating your personal values, it's 
It's a great opportunity to bring those both to illustration and to congruence, and that will automatically help you in saying no. That is great advice. We've had some speakers on um, this podcast talking about find your personal values, find your core, and things do fall into place. Doesn't mean it's easy, doesn't mean it doesn't take energy and time, but once you do that, you can make those decisions. And it is easier, Scott, like you said. Well, if that's not going to serve me as a dad, a husband, a podcast host right now, that's kind of an easy no because that one's not serving the purpose and it's not meeting my core values. So I love that you said that. I think it's easier said than done. You know, oh, I was yes, everything. I, <laughs> I went, yeah, right, right. Welcome to life. Uh, yeah. my, good, my good friend Voltaire, right. Said common right. health isn't common practice. I, uh, I think I was single up until I was 53. And so wow. you know, when Franklin, I know when Franklin, sorry, not, that's not true. That's not true. I'm sorry. I'm 53 now. I was single until I was about 43. Okay. Um, and, and Stephen Covey, of course, the co-founder of our company, yeah. the author of the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, talked a lot about your personal mission statement. It's a big part of what mm-hmm. we do in yeah. business. And it never, it never resonated with me. As I'm, I'm a single guy in my 40s. I don't know. Drink more champagne. Go to Italy. Go to the gym. <laughs> I don't know what my mission is. That's why the values exercise so resonated with me. I still, to this day, don't know what my mission is. I mean, I think now it probably is parenthood begrudgingly, mm. but it is what it is. <laughs> the values exercise was very tangible. Mm-hmm. And I strongly recommend you take some time, days, hours, a couple of weeks, and get clear on your values. And most importantly, don't choose your values based on anyone else's opinion. Yes. Gary Kelly, I yep. don't give a flying flip what you think about my values. Exactly. I did not pick them to impress you or anybody else or to make them sound good. I picked them based on what I wanted my life to be about. And I did it in my mid thirties. Fortunately, it wasn't in my mid (laughs) seventies, which I hope to be around by, but my youngest son is doing his best to end that. (laughs) His annoying personality. (laughs) (laughs) Mine just said, I'm here to overthrow you, mom. (laughs) And and I said, oh, okay. Well, I never thought about that. They're here to overthrow us. See, my wife and I think that they plot every night up in the attic. How can we destroy their marriage tomorrow? Yeah. And we we yeah. get 10 minutes over coffee. And we agree <laughs> not to let that happen each morning. It's a constant <laughs> daily fight to win it back. I will say, my son is very honest. So he's like, I will destroy you. I will I will rule you at some point. And I, this is our talk in the car yesterday. And I said, oh, thanks, honey. And he said, just so you know. I'll destroy you. I, and hey, I said, aw, thanks, pumpkin. Hey, in the unwise words of President W. Bush, bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> I said unwise words, by the way. Yes, yeah. yes. Here's what oh, you yeah, don't do. Please. Don't hang a banner up on an aircraft carrier and tell your enemy to bring it on. You know, do it right. more subtly. Yeah, yeah, not the, not the best. We've accomplished it. Yeah, mission accomplished. Um, what, but I want to go back to the, one of the first things you said, Scott, before we get to the big question, because I wanted to see how you manage this because you're, you're such a learner, you're open to all this feedback. And you said in the beginning, kind of the more public you get, the more there's hate bots and chatter and just the detractors. And so how do you figure out you know what, that's kind of BS and they're just doing it to like, you know, amp up and juice up their Twitter followers. But when do you realize, no, that's actually some good critiques. And I want to kind of in, I want to 
integrate that into who I am? How do you, how do you kind of manage that? Because I'm sure, like you said, because the more popular you get, the more you're in the public eye, you get more feedback all the time. Well, it's very true, right? I mean, if you read about me on Glassdoor, you would send the police to my house if you actually believed <laughs> what people have written about me. So, you know, I, I generally, you know, turn 50. There's my answer. Turn 50. Yeah. <laughs> age, age really is helpful, isn't it? Yes. You do go, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. give a half. Yeah, yeah, later. Yeah. My my wife is about 13 years younger than I am. And I keep telling her, hun, call me when you're 50 because something <laughs> magical happens when you generally care a whole yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, I think a couple of things is I've always recognized that you know there's a level of vitriol out there and it just tends to explode when people are jealous of your confidence, of your mm-hmm. risk taking, mm-hmm. of your of your ability to try and, and and fail and then pick yourself up again. So mm-hmm. what I've done is I have surrounded myself with a very small but vital number of wise people. Mm-hmm. I didn't say smart. I said wise because they're not the same. Yeah. So I've got about five or six people that I know what their intent is. They have my best interest at heart. And I know that they want me to succeed. So when they sit down and give me tough feedback on a social post or an ink column or a book I wrote or an interview or whatever it is, it's rare. But when it comes, I am very deliberate not to discount it, refute Mm. it, explain it, or defend it. I listen very carefully, and then I get extremely vulnerable. Mm. I ask them, so why? Why do you think I did that? Did I seem jealous? Did I seem insecure? Did I seem in over my head? Did I seem unprepared? Why do you, knowing what you know about me, why do you, you get the point. So I have Mm -hmm. surrounded myself with a board of directors. That is small, but you know, uh, a uh, a group of trusted advisors, and I and I generally, almost without exception, take their feedback. I'd like to think that I'm on a, a, a an improving journey of self awareness. It's a topic I'm kind of obsessed with. You know, none of us are as self aware as we think we are. Right. My wife reminds me that every Friday night on the cold, long, silent drive home from the dinner party when she says, you had to go there. You promised me. <laughs> you promised me you would not talk about Trump. And so I get a lot of <laughs> feedback from my wife. Um, so that's it. You know, I, I'm mindful. I'm mindful. But, you know, I don't, you know, the, my books have, you know, thousands of collective reviews and I have not read them all mm. because I don't get infused. I don't find the critiques emboldening. Mm-hmm. I'm human, right? I mean, I have an ego and I'm fragile. I generally don't always go to the praise. I go to the people that I trust their intent. Mm-hmm. And their intent is my success, whether it be my brand or my financial success or my marriage success or just my success in helping lift other people up. And and that group has been invaluable to me. Mm. I Well, we haven't even asked the big question of you, Scott, and usually we ask for actions and advice at the end, but I'm so excited that already 15 minutes in, two pieces that we have talked about before, but it's, you, you know, we're humans. We need to hear it millions of times before we do it, it seems like. One, know your values, know your core, know what drives you, make decisions from it, and don't really care what other people think of those values. However... Be sure to have that trusted circle around you, that board of directors that really does give you that real feedback. Because if you don't have that, then you you can go off 
course pretty quickly without people who care about you and your growth. And so you, like you said, it's not because they're jealous or they want to tear you down because some people just don't like stuff because they don't want you to be successful. These are people who are invested in you as Scott Miller and want you to be successful and therefore will give you this good feedback and help you. And then you're open and vulnerable to listen to it. Ah, beautiful, Scott. And do it proactively, not just react. I mean, how many business titans and celebrities had their brands, their following, their income destroyed overnight because they posted something irresponsible on social media. And it wasn't their intent. Their intent was not to, you know, pick a fight with someone. They just weren't thoughtful and didn't have a group, good group of advisors to understand what could be the right. unintended consequences. I mean, right. you know, I didn't understand white privilege until I really dug into it. I didn't understand cultural appropriation until I yeah. dug into it. And so I think it's important to have people that are your mentors yep. that proactively help you. You know, And, and yep. I think I would redefine the word mentor. You don't have to know your mentor. Most mm. of my mentors don't even know I exist. Mm. I just, I just follow their radio programs or read their books or go to their conferences. And I think about, you know, what would this person do if they were going to post this? Or mm-hmm. what would this person say? Or what lesson do I have to learn from someone else who waded into this and got, you know, eaten alive? Yeah. Yeah. I really, that's, that's great because you can learn. Well, I learn a lot from just watching documentaries, movies, stories, just the way, even a fictional story, the way someone's handled things, I'll say, God, would I have handled it that way? Or how would I have done that? Or I don't want to be 75 and regret half my life because I didn't, I wasn't vulnerable or I didn't bond with people. I think most of your life lessons have come from me in the last 20 minutes. Uh, pretty much, Scott. That's right. Pretty much. Pretty much. I think we're done now. No. <laughs> humility, humility is not one of my strengths, by the way. Well, good. I, I guess you did use that as one of your charge qualities. Hey, I'm <laughs> self-aware. I'm self-aware. I'm not a humble person. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's ask the big question. What is a decision that you made or was made for you that changed the trajectory of your life? And what are some of those charge qualities, sans humility, that helped you with that? You're going to hear a consistent theme here. I could think of many decisions, but I'll tell you, it was getting married to Stephanie. Mm. I told you I was single up until my early 40s, very comfortable being a bachelor. I never thought I would get married. Honestly, that that kind of the idea never really appealed to me, which was interesting, you know, being raised a Catholic and still a member of that faith and hopefully good standing. And so it kind of happened serendipitously. But when I married Stephanie, I obviously was very set in my ways in my 40s mm-hmm. and her in her late 20s at the time. This was, you know, 13 years ago. But Stephanie brought me what I lacked in my life, which was many things. But one was a governor, mm. meaning, you know, like a governor on my engine. You're going to say what? You're going to wear what? You're doing yeah. what? And that was really valuable to me. I'm not advocating marriage for everyone. I had a very happy single life and I hope I'm married to the rest of my life. I'm not advocating that. What I am advocating is if you are not married or if in your marriage, your spouse or partner isn't your governor, meaning your Jiminy Cricket, (laughs) then you need to find one. Mm. Because I think every one of us, to my earlier point, needs someone in our life that we we defer to. Yeah. that their calm voice in the storm, yeah. that their questioning of your motive and your behaviors makes you take a breath and say, do I understand the consequences, positive and negative, of this decision? Do I understand that mm-hmm. I can't predict all the consequences of this? And I mean, I'm willing to own it and pay the price. 
Mm-hmm. So for me, I think, you know, I've made lots of, I've made lots of great decisions. I've actually made very few big consequential poor decisions. I'm a mm-hmm. fairly deliberate person, but the decision to get married or perhaps better just to have a really single trusted person in your life. Yeah. I think that's the best decision I've made because I'll tell you, I was uh, a very successful uh, professional in my career, but I was never going to get into the C-suite as a single guy because I just didn't have the maturity yeah. and have the wisdom. Yeah. And it was Stephanie and her wisdom. By the way, Stephanie is not a professional. She's well-educated. She's never had a career outside the home. She's chosen, fortunately, to be a stay-at-home mom. That may not always be her choice. It is, in fact, her choice. But yeah. Stephanie is the key reason why I was named to the C-suite and mm-hmm. became the CMO because of her just generally sound wisdom in life. And she helped to navigate some of the mistakes I was making, you know, from a human resource side and really kind of calmed me down and channeled my genius and stopped, <laughs> really stopped allowing me to make potholes, dig yeah. them myself and then jump in them. Yeah. I, um, we call it in a, a nice way to say it is we say you need someone in your life to tell you, you have spinach in your teeth. Cause a lot of people won't tell you that. And so you need someone who loves you enough to say you have spinach in your teeth or the sassier way to say it is to call you out on your BS. Like there needs to be someone in your life who's like, that is, you're so full of it. Like, just stop it right now. Um, And a lot of us don't have that, like you said, trusted advisor. So go back to, you're living the life. You're like, I don't need to get married. Like, so how does this change for you? What, what is it about Stephanie? What happened that you said, you know what, I'm like, I am set in my ways, but I'm going to try something new and I'm actually going to get married because that's a gigantic life change for someone in their forties. No one has ever asked me this question. I hadn't thought about it until just now, but about four or five years prior to meeting Stephanie, Mm -hmm. I was at a trade show in Pasadena, California. It was a a trade show for school board members, like public Mm school board members mm. and a very elderly gentleman in his late seventies or eighties kind of stooped over came by our Franklin Cubby booth. Mm-hmm. And I got to, ch- to chatting him up and was talking to him. And it was almost like, you know, the ghost of Christmas future, whatever that, that thing is. <laughs> yeah. he, he just happened to slip in the conversation with me that he'd never been married. And he looked at me as he kind of walked away and said, and it's been a lonely life. <gasps> Don't follow my path. Wow. And he just walked on. And I kind of looked at him and thought, what the? F-? Right. And so, you know, several years passed. And I, like, I didn't go out and start, you know, rapidly dating. I dated in my early 20s. And like, you know, college relationships had my heart broken through my life into my career. And literally just serendipitously, I was living in Chicago for the company. And Stephanie actually followed a boyfriend back from college. And she went to the gym. I went to the gym. I thought it was her boy, her her brother, by the way. And I asked her out to dinner, and we went to dinner, and that was it. Wow. And I tell you what, I what what most impressed me about her, quite frankly, she was you know considerably younger than me, you know, almost thirteen years. Yeah. Was what most I think accelerated my interest was how graciously her and her then boyfriend broke up. No backstabbing, no lies, no hard feelings, no this. It was just all very respectful 
and gracious. He actually came to our marriage two years later and videotaped it, and we were invited to his. We couldn't go, but wow. I was so impressed. It really spoke to her character. I thought, you know what? Yep. This is the kind of person I could bring home to meet my mom. If I was going to have children, um, this would be the woman that I would want to instill the values I was raised with, and she has proven to be on that point for 13 years. So, So whoever that gentleman was at that school board trade show, you were a transition figure in a young man's life you don't even know about. Well, and it goes to your point, Scott, of your mentors sometimes are just people you you don't really know. And it could be just someone who said something to you at the Pasadena Convention Center, on an airplane, at the store. Like they just say something, you go, huh. That's really interesting. I'm going to, that, that sticks with me and it stuck with you all this time. You know, what? I told a, I told a lie. Can I correct it? Oh, I love it. It was the Breaking Anaheim. News. It was Breaking the Anaheim. News. You're going to be canceled it the, now. Okay. It was the Anaheim Convention Center, not no. in Pasadena. When you said it back to me, I'm like, I've never even been to Pasadena. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> I was okay. like, what? he's in Pasadena. I'm a fraud. That's I'm a fraud. Rewind. <laughs> All right. Cancel this recording now, Kelly. We're done. Um, what, so what was then pre Stephanie, right? Scott, like, and what was post, like, what are some of the tangible things that you can see that like actually significantly changed? And like, you're, like you said, you went to the C-suite and that wouldn't have happened. What are some other things that you're like, this just wouldn't have happened if I didn't, if I wasn't married to her? Well, I wouldn't have had a private plane or a Porsche because that all goes to my kids' private school tuition. (laughs) (laughs) No, in all seriousness, um, I am more self-aware. I am more deliberate. I'm more contemplative. I'm less impulsive. I think about the consequences of the things I say to other people. Mm. I think uh, Stephanie has also reinforced in me the difference between being fearless and being reckless. Mm, I used to be that kind of friend that always said what was on my mind. I had an opinion about your earrings. I had an opinion about the color interior of your car. I had an opinion about, you know, and I shared it with you regardless of whether or not that hurt your feelings. Mm, I kind of had this arrogant sense that it was my moral duty to give you feedback on your new haircut. And for some, in some ways it was kind of funny in my brand and, you know, that sky is outrageous, but you know, the fact of the matter, sometimes my fearlessness was recklessness mm, mm-hmm. with my brand and quite frankly, with your feelings. So I became much more, not to my wife's probably measure, but much more deliberate around just understanding as an outward processor. I'm one of those creative types that has to hear myself say it out loud in order to confirm that mm. a, it makes sense and believe I, and two, I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't until I said the word Pasadena until I I realized, no, it was Anaheim. Yeah. And Stephanie has helped me understand the consequence of having an outward narrative where everybody else also hears what's on my mind. And Mm. they think it is my position or my opinion when, in fact, I was just kind of role playing it. So I'm much more deliberate around when I have been masquerading as fearless, Mm. but portraying myself as reckless. I, that is so insightful, that difference between fearless and reckless, because I know you've heard it in companies as well, where the leader will say, well, I'm authentic, baby. And you're like, well, that doesn't mean you can be an asshole. 
It's very right. true. It's very true. We all have met these colleagues yeah. where they're these, you know, they're these gutless wonders where they throw grenades right. and they run the opposite way. Yes. Not everyone needs to hear what's on your mind. Yeah. And these yeah. people that, that this is, I was one of these that was sort of, you know, I just tell it like it is and let the chance yeah. where it's lie. You know what? That's really selfish. Mm. And I'm calling myself out. For many years, I was that kind of guy that mm. just, I just called it out. And I thought, you know, okay, okay. And what are the consequences of that for those around you? So if anybody listening to this has that as their brand, mm. I think there is some value to it. There's also some hurt to it. Ask mm. yourself, does everybody need to know your opinion? And the answer, let me tell you, is no. Such a great question. Does everyone need to know your opinion at this point, at this time, in front of all these people, right? So I might tell you I have a spinach in your teeth, but I don't need to tell you in front of 200 people. I might Nicely pull you said. aside. I might, Nicely said. Right, right? I might try to do it in a different way, but do I need to do it in this forum? Scott, what you, you talk about learning, where did this, your lifelong learner, where did this vulnerability come from? Because you certainly, Scott, could have been like, listen, little lady, I don't need to listen to your your stuff about being self-aware or, you know, I don't, I'm reckless versus fearless. I'm fearless, baby. Let it go. Where did your vulnerability come to accept all this feedback and say, you know what? I am going to modify some things and I do want to grow and, and be a little bit different as a leader and a person and a husband. You know, I'm a lifelong stutterer. I have a very pronounced stutter. I've been in speech therapy my entire life. I've had braces three times, Visalign, headgear, retainers. Wow. I have two speech coaches. It's been a very debilitating stutter for me. I have been able to conquer it by knowing which words trigger my stutter. For some people, it's neurological. Others, it's physiological. Some of it's psychological. And so I'm going to guess in my mid-20s, I began to realize that I could actually talk about this versus mm. be debilitative. Actually talk about it. Kind of call out the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. I read once a poem or a passage, more like a passage, that said, there's great power in hanging a lantern on your own troubles. Mm. Because when you hang a lantern on them, no one else can weaponize them against, from, against you. Yes. And I had spent my entire life People telling me, Scott, slow down. Scott, talk slower. Scott, enunciate your words. Scott, you, you're fast. And they were right. And many of them would share that with me, not to buoy me or lift me up, but to minimize me. Mm. And so I kind of decided just to hang a lantern on my own troubles. And what it did was it neutered all of my naysayers. When someone would say, well, Scott has ADD, I would say, newsflash, print that paper, because no one knew that, right? And <laughs> they weren't saying it to me to lift me up. They were saying it to me to minimize me, mm -hmm. regardless of their protesting when I called them out on it. So as I started to become a more prominent and public leader and writer, I realized that there weren't any leadership books that talked about the difficulty of leadership. They all kind of raised it up and Leadership is the noblest trait, and mm. leadership is for everyone. BS. Yep. Leadership sucks. Yeah. It is hard. It is <laughs> it unrelenting. Is. It yes. is often unrewarding. It's like adult yep. babysitting. I hate yes. it, quite yes. frankly. And so my first book was called Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. And I wrote a book about all the outrageous things I did in my career. 
nothing illegal or unethical, sometimes close, but not officially. <laughs> the book like sold 100,000 copies because most leadership books were all about everything wraps up great in a bow. Well, that wasn't my experience. So I think it was, it was really coming to understand the power of hanging a lantern on your own problems. Because mm. then you could talk about them freely. And the more you can talk about your challenges freely, the more you give permission for those around you to do the same. Yes. And I think that's every leader's dream culture is where you can teach other people through your own messes and challenges, not gratuitously, not as an open kimono, you know, confessional, so to speak, but to really be comfortable with your challenges. And then you give permission for others to talk about theirs. And then that's where their self-awareness grows. And in my 30 years in leadership, that's a great elixir for a fabulous culture. It, it is so true. And leaders so struggle with that, Scott, because they're taught from these books. Now, books are changing a little bit, but at least the, the traditional management theories where you're a leader and you have all the answers and you don't really show vulnerability and you don't share stories and that's your personal life. And so by opening up and being vulnerable, people then want to talk to you. So I'll, people will tell me quite a few things, but I've realized I also tell them quite a few things about my life. So they hear about my child or my struggles and then guess what they do? Just like you, you will share um, because it's an open, it's an open space, but I will totally steal, hang a lantern on the problems because it is, I, I love that, Scott. That's so brilliant. We have, um, due to your genius, Scott, we've already given so much advice. What other advice or thoughts do you have for our listeners to help them when they're kind of going through their own struggles or trying to kind of define themselves and and change maybe parts of their lives? You know, the best advice I ever heard was from Dr. Stephen R. Covey. He wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's a great book. Pick up a copy. It sells about 8,000 copies a week. It's insane. He he died 10 years ago. I was going to say, if you haven't heard of that book, I don't know where you've been. And as the chief marketing officer, I was often interviewed by the press on the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. And I would say, no, 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 no. The title of his book is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, not highly efficient people. Mm. There's a massive difference between efficiency and effectiveness. Mm -hmm. One's not better than the other. They just have a different place in your life. As you can tell from my energy and my resume, I'm a very productive person. I wake up every day at four o'clock and I write my blog for my, my um, newsletter. I write my Colin Frank magazine, I write my books, and then I do this and that and the other. And I collapse into bed at 9.30 every night, seven days a week, four to 9.30. I met an annoying neighbor that gets up at four o'clock on Saturday and washes my car, and makes my yard and mows my lawn and plants some flowers. And by 7.30, I'm ready to start my day. I make no apologies for my productivity or my efficiency. but like your listeners that can identify with me and my success in life because of my efficiency, when we take that efficiency mindset and we move it into our relationships with others, it doesn't work Mm. because you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective. So to quote Dr. Stephen R. Covey, with people, fast is slow. And slow is fast. So for those of you that are having challenges in any part of your life 
with your relationships, your business partners, your employees, your family members, ask yourself, am I operating with them in my typical efficiency mindset? Or am I checked in? Am I focused? Am I always telling my story versus listening to their story? Do I interrupt? Do I always one-up them? Do I consciously move out of my efficiency mindset, which, by the way, is one of my strengths, mm-hmm. but not in relationships with people? And for me, that's been a profound difference in my life, not to undermine what is my strength, but like all strengths, when overplayed, they can become our weaknesses. Recognize when and where in your life you should employ efficiency and where and when you should be more effective. Brendan Bouchard is a friend of mine, and he says, most things in life are better done slower. Mm. And as much as I hate that, he's <laughs> right. You, I, I have, um, before I throw it over to Cal, I have an example of that efficiency versus effectiveness. So like you, I traveled a lot and I traveled by myself for business and I was very efficient at it. I had a good packing system. I could be there five minutes before. I mean, I had a good efficient system. I then started to travel with my husband and son who are not business travelers. And I remember my husband looked at me, he said, you, you do know you're traveling with us now, right? It's not a business trip. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I was expecting them to be efficient like me. And it was more about efficiency than the effectiveness of getting the whole family on the trip to the airport in a good mood. Um, and so I just, as you said that, I was like, oh yeah, that's the difference between I was being efficient versus effective family member. And I totally changed my mindset when I travel with them versus when I travel by myself for business. Just different, effective versus efficient. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I appreciate that. Kelly, there are so many nuggets with Scott. What is the one nugget that stands out for you the most? That's a hard hard one. So I'm I'm stalling for you for a second. It's it's very difficult. I I just wonder, as I'm listening to you, Scott, if you've incorporated humor a lot into how you, into your practice and in how you approach daily life as well. Well, you tell me my book is management mess to leaders. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, most definitely. I mean, you know, as I have learned, and I tell you, there's a magical thing happens when you're 50. For some, it might be 40. Others, it's like 70. Some, it's na- never. But I think I just got a bit more grounding under myself and can absolutely laugh at my mistakes, call them out, use them as great teaching moments for other people. And I'm less insecure about my my areas of deficiency. I, I don't try to cover them as much. I try to run with my strengths and not ignore my weaknesses. But I, at this point in my life, having lived more than half of it, I'm really kind of doubling down on, on my strengths and just recognizing what I'm never going to be. I'm not going to be a chemical engineer. I'm not going to be a commercial airline pilot. I'm not going to be an anesthesiologist. I'm not going to be an HR. Thank God. But I do have <laughs> other 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 benefits to uh, to add and so to your point hopefully life gets funnier what's that phrase if you're not a i, I always mix it up but if you're not a republican in like your 30s you don't have a something if you're not, if you're not a liberal in your 60s you don't have a conscience i don't know i think they'll yeah get, there's something yeah. about like, yeah if you don't yeah. have if you don't have a heart or something you're not a that's Democrat, what it is younger, but if yes. you want it's something around that i know what you're talking yeah. about and yeah i think that's, that's true i think i am i am understanding in my life that 
people behave the way they do for a reason. Mm-hmm. Less than 10% of the population are true sociopaths. Mm-hmm. The rest of us are just trying to figure out our way. Mm-hmm. And when some, someone does something outrageous or crazy or insane to my standard, I'm increasingly more conscious of my reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And I ask myself, I wonder what's going on there. Something's going on. Not in a judgmental way, just I wonder, is that their parent speaking? Is that their fear? Is that their first spouse? Is that their college headmaster? Like, like what's going on that they think that way? And therefore, I'm, I'm less, less tempted to get drug into something because I used to love a good reaction. I was, I was excellent at, you know, some people wish they would have said something three hours later. Oh, my craft was saying exactly what I needed to in the moment. Mm-hmm. And as I have aged, I've become a little more forgiving. You might even say pre-forgiving. Mm-hmm. Well, it's incredible, your story. Um, in, in part, I, I think especially now the world we live in where opinions, whether you want to hear them or not, they're out there for everyone to see and hear through social media, news, whatever. Um, and the idea that kindness does go a long way to be kind, to pause, to think before you say something, it, it, the words that you share, the, the, the intention behind what you say, it really does go a long way. And I think if people can hear this message that you're sharing with, with everyone it, and, and do something with it that's intentional and meaningful, um, what, a, what a better world we'll live in. So that's number one. But number two is also just the um, the appreciation that you share for your wife in in the cha- in the changes that she's made. I mean, obviously you have a lot of natural talent and ability, Scott, of course. Um, but the decision that you made to to you know find her and she to find you and to make the decision together to embark on a life and to make to make a life together and to find for her to share and really develop, you know, your strengths so that you can, to, you can live this, this best version of yourself. I, I just love it. And I love the, the credit that you give to her for that, because I don't think that happens maybe as frequently as it should. Um, so that you are so vocal about it and that you, that you share that. I really hope she's able to listen to this as well. Well, I might go tell her, but I'm not sure she's <laughs> speaking to me this morning. So I gotta go check. We'll see what's going on downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah, my marriage is like every other one, right? It's got ups <laughs> and downs and with those of boys, course. I'm kidding. Hopefully today's uh, a speaking day. We'll see. Or maybe might, might be my pettiness. You never know. So, <laughs> Stephanie, how's it going? <laughs> well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you, Scott, for sharing sharing your story, um, for being so candid and honest with us and our audience. Um, For anyone who's interested, please check out the show notes to hear all about Scott's information, including um, his link to his um, On Leadership with Scott Miller podcast. Please be one of the 6 million um, weekly listeners um, and join that uh, great legion of fans that he has. And then, of course, there will be a link to his Mess to Success series. Um, uh, We look forward to you uh, joining and reading that as well. Thank you again, Scott, so much for for being a guest on our podcast and for sharing your story. Gosh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you for the spotlight. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Recharge Your Life podcast. Please sign up for our newsletter at abracigroup.com and follow us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn at Abracigroup, Instagram at Warriors of HR, 
and Twitter at warriors underscore HR. Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and please tell a friend. And be sure to drop us a note on how you are recharging your life. We can't wait to hear from you.